Hello and welcome to the pep talk. You're here with your two favorite bald frauds, Sam and Jason, talking all things Manchester City. Jason, how you doing today? Yeah, good, man. Good. Uh, not as sick anymore, which is uh, really good. So the voice is a little bit back. You know, feeling good. City are doing good. Everyone's doing good. <laughs> Can't blame me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, You're it's a good start to the You're doing a lot better than Jaden Sancho right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and Anthony as well. So it's, it's Manchester United is doing uh, release statements per player right now at the moment. So it will be, that will yeah, be very any, interesting. Any, that should be a reality check for anyone who wants to complain about our wingers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk, so, talking of wingers, don't you? <laughs> yeah. The, like, the, the lineup was leaked by... How do these... Okay. For anybody that doesn't know, this lineup was leaked, like, what, two days before? Yeah, two, three days before. And it was spot on. It was leaked by these fantasy the, it, Premier League guys on yep. um on twitter. twitter and you know because when you see that lineup that city you're like there's no way that's correct but <laughs> clearly it was leaked so my guess is he, he he's got to know a player he either knows a player or knows one of the coaching staff so generally when when they pick a team they, they'll do a couple of days before because they'll, they'll do training around that um but it, but the team kind of picked itself with Grealish's injury so, but yeah, it was crazy. Man. Like, it was but like, nobody oh, this- knew Grealish was injured. That was the exactly, thing. exactly. So it was an internal. Definitely, these people have someone on the inside, right? They they either know a player or they know um, one of the coaching staff, and that person is saying, "Hey, this is this is the most likely going to be lineup." It's yeah. it's interesting because for for a lineup to leak that early is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So what did you actually think of the lineup? Like, were you excited? Were you surprised? I mean, really, the only surprise was that Bernardo didn't play. Um, that was really it. I mean, because, yeah, like you said, would, like everybody else is injured. It kind of picks itself. Yeah, which wasn't that much of a surprise because he did have a kid early in the week. So um, congratulations to Bernardo. Um, so, you know, he could be tired. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very stressful thing to, to have kids. You know, I've got two of myself, so I know how it is. Um, I have but, one on the way. It's stressful yeah. just to have a pregnant wife. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? So imagine when you actually have the kid. So I don't blame him for missing the game. Um, but but to me, like, I wasn't. I was actually excited when I seen the lineup and I, when I when I heard because like, you hear Doku, Alvarez, Haaland, and um, Foden, right? Right, That's Alvarez, chaos Foden. Ball. Yeah, it's just like it's just like we're going so direct. We're just gonna. We're going to throw it over the top. We're going to go right at you. We're going to shoot a lot of shots. Um, but we'll get to the game in a bit and because that didn't really happen. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it, that was the opposite of what I expected from, from that lineup. But overall, I was happy. And I'm like, I was a bit surprised Gavardio didn't start, but I guess he'll rotate a lot with, with Ake this season as he tries to fit in. My, my guess is between now and December, Gavardio and Ake will like rotate a lot. But then towards the end of the season... It'll be Gavardio starting because he's just so quality, like on the ball, the movement, the passing, etc. You know, it, when you play a big team, having Gavardio in is just going to be fantastic. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he does play Ake and Gavardio, for example, in some of those big games where like Ake needs to deal with a with a strong winger. Because because Gavardio is so good on the ball, you you kind of want a player like that in in, in the team. But outside of yeah. that, I wasn't I wasn't that surprised. It, it was it was an exciting lineup. That's the main thing. I was looking forward to it. 
Yeah, I mean, the like, we've been saying this about the back line forever. It doesn't really matter who's playing. We we know what we're getting from them, and it's, like, world-class across the exactly. board. So, exactly. So, like, I, I don't – honestly, like, I, I just don't really give a shit who's on the back line because you know they're going to be good regardless. You don't yeah. really have to worry about them. So, yeah, like, Ake is kind of surprising, but at the same time, like, you can't just play Vardiol all of the minutes all of a sudden and play Ake exactly. none. And Ake, like, it's not Ake's fault that Vardiol is a generational center back. You know, like, Ake is still very, very good. There's really little to no drop-off when he's there. Exactly. It's it's not like there's a drop-off when he's in there, so... And yeah, that, okay, and like you said, that's, that's the that's 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 the big thing for our team at the moment. This is probably the best defensive team City has ever had, in, in my opinion. I, I I don't think we'll ever have a as great of a team defensively as this. Like we've we've had John Stones out and Akanji missed last week. I'm pretty sure. So we've dealt with two key players being injured, and we've barely missed a beat defensively. So for me, yeah, ex- like you said, exactly. Whoever starts in the and back Diaz line, had a concussion for a week. Remember? Exactly, exactly, exactly. So we we can deal with injuries in the back line. This is probably the first Pep team that's, I reckon, built from the back more than the front. Um, so for me, in terms of whoever gets picked in the back line, I'm like, okay, <laughs> whether it's Lewis yeah. or Akanji or Aki or Diaz. The only thing I would say with with, with this setup that we had uh, against Fulham. That was probably our, one of our weakest defensive setups, even though it's still very, very strong. The only reason why it's a little bit weaker is just out of out of all the players we have, that combination is probably the worst on the ball, I'd say, in terms of passing and accuracy, etc. Um, but it's still such a high quality that you don't even notice the drop-off that much. Yeah, I think Diaz has gotten just a lot better on the ball in exactly. general. Um, exactly. But yeah, it, I mean, still, like you said, it's still quality. And then in terms of, like, the front five, I guess you would call it, um, you know, it was nice to see Doku. The cool thing about Doku and Foden, and we saw it in the game, is that both of them can play either wing. So it can get fun, like, for tactical reasons, which side you want to play them on. If you want to switch them in the middle of the match, you can do that. And that was – so that was kind of fun. Um, But, yeah, nothing's too surprising except, like, you know, there's always the kind of like the, I would say like, I wouldn't call them overthinkers, but people who think like, like it's one way or the other. Like there's either a ton of creativity in the team and no quote unquote control or pausa or the other way around where there's too much power. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think that stuff can get overblown um, personally. And this, I mean, this team, like you said, was a lot more direct. Like there's a lot more dynamic type of players that um, weren't as good keeping the ball. And, I mean, that'll just roll us into the first half. Like, I mean, the first half, we just couldn't – We it was so sloppy, we couldn't keep the ball at all. Yeah, it was. It, the, the first half was, you know, I, <laughs> I remember I messaged, messaged, messaged you in the group and I was like, I'm so glad we went with a 2-1 lead into halftime because we did not deserve to be up 2-1 for various reasons, right? And and the main reason was we were absolutely terrible in that first half. That was probably one of the worst performances I've seen in a long time. I, I remember last season we had a lot of first half bad performances and then the second half was 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 always a lot better. We, we've become a bit of a second half team 
not sure why, like it takes us a bit of time to to acclimate to the game, etc. But that first half was very poor and very uncharacter- uncharacteristic in terms of how we usually play. Like the passing accuracy, the sloppiness, you know, whether we play a nice, simple one-two touch pass, decision-making, it was all poor. Like there were so many times in the game, I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> what is that pass? Um, and it was just, it was just, either it, it's, it's surprising. It's like, is it because, and this will get into the tactics, is it because of the front line of having Doku and Foden on the wings and then Alvarez in the middle? And Alvarez is is not the the best type of control type player that you'd want as an eight. So to me, is was it due to that or was it just an overall sloppiness, right? Yeah, um, I don't know. I think it was more, I, I obviously it was kind of both. Like, it was overall sloppiness because the things we were doing were just dumb. Like, it, that's not a, that, at, that, like, at that point, that's not a tactical thing. When, like, you're just misplacing passes to people. Or one thing that really bothered me is we saw it, like, three or four times where they basically like tried to swing it out to the right wing and they would do it without with barely even looking at either Doku or Foden who was whoever was out on the right and Anthony Robinson was just sitting there waiting for that pass and would intercept it every time yeah and yeah exactly Anthony Robinson is like also big and and really athletic he he's reminds me of like a left-footed Kyle Walker in like physical wise like he's just he's big and he's really fast and so he just sat on that a bunch of times and i'm like why do you keep why do you keep just like it's like they're not even looking before they swing that pass out there and he's just he's just sitting there ready to take it and so um it was just overall sloppiness like that but i mean we'll we'll get more into tactics talk a little later it did get a little better after Foden and doku switched yeah. So they switched in like the twentieth minute, and the the control got because the problem was like cities just built their build up was terrible, and yeah, exactly. Fulham isn't a team that parks the bus. They just don't do that. So that's not how Marco Silva operates. And so like it was more of a mid press, reminded me a lot of how Ralph Hasenhutel used to do with Southampton. Remember when Southampton we just like yes. couldn't beat them for year, a couple years. That's what it reminds me of where they like. The second you go into their, you pass it into a midfielder, there's eight guys converging on him. And that's what it kind of reminded me of. And I, I, we did a much better job in the second half, but the first half, it was just, um, it, it, you know, like I said, when Foden and Doku switched, it helped a little bit just because kind of naturally, if you're as an inverted winger, like if Foden's on the right and he's left footed, it's just easier to kind of keep control of the ball than if your dominant foot is on the side you're on. So I think that just kind of helped in terms of that. And then it, it just got better in the second half for, you know, we'll get into that, but yeah, overall, like yeah. the half was just pretty sloppy. Yeah. So some stats from the half, we had three shots, 60% possession and 0.68 XG. Fulham had three shots as well. And one point. 1.04 xg so in terms of in terms of first half they definitely had a better half than us so for us to go up 2-1 into the half was i'd say undeserved 
right? So, and, so and there's for, a- for a couple of reasons, right? The first goal was a fantastic goal, Kovacic to to Haaland, to Haaland to to Alvarez. That was that was a great worked goal, very direct again. Um, but the Ake goal. So we'll talk about Fulham's goal as well. Again, sloppy, just a sloppy, sloppy defensive um, sequence from City with with Ake, um, you know, miscontrolling the ball with no pressure, you know, conceding a corner, and then that corner leads to to a goal from more sloppiness in the box, you know, letting an, a, a a runner go free basically. So, yeah, that first half just overall was not good. Yeah. So. Uh, I did see, like, I did look at possession stats, which, like, the most basic of basic things with Pep Guardiola is, like, keep possession, and that's mm. it. And sometimes it's overlooked just because, like, We're so used maybe, to <laughs> once, maybe once a year we will not get 50% possession. You know what I mean? Like, maybe once a year. And so, um, in the first half, City had roughly 60% possession, before Foden and Doku switched, it was like 58%. Then after they switched, it was more like 62%, 63%. Um, so it was it finished roughly around 60%. In the second half, City had 75% possession. So yeah. that yeah, should the, like... The control came straight away back in the second half. Yeah, they just couldn't keep the ball. So uh, let's just get into the second half then. Actually, before we jump to the second half, the, the Ake goal. Let's discuss the Ake goal. Offside for you or no? That was not offside. I, I will stand by it. I think me and Stefan on Twitter, who's uh, he's kind of like the legal guy for, yep. for football stuff, SLBSN on Twitter. Anyways, um, I think me and him are the only ones separately that have said that that's just to me that that's not offsides. Unless Akanji touched it, which I didn't see him touch it. He didn't like touch he it. Didn't. Um, it looked like he didn't touch it. If he like grazed him, then that's a different thing. But to me, he wasn't interfering with Leno at all. Like he wasn't on the line, and he wasn't. If you look at where Leno's eyesight is, he's not in his eyesight. So to say that he's like he's effect like Leno. If you watch it again, Leno dove before it even hit or like got near a kanji. So to me, that's like. That, that's just not a. So, that, that's not offside. So to me, I, I see two sides of the coin. I agree with you and Stefan, who are saying the the goal should stand based on the rules, but the rules are very murky. It's like it's like a handball rule, right? It's like the handball rule. Sometimes it's like sometimes yes, sometimes no, and it's like it's like one of these things where it's so gray area that it's not clear to me. To me, if a, if a player is impeding the goalkeeper and he's sitting in an offside position, unless, unless, and like Liverpool had the same thing. Liverpool had a very similar goal where Salah was blocking the line of the of the goalkeeper with that that first three-minute goal um, in the first three minutes. It was very similar, right? But to me, the Akanji one, although he jumped over it, it kind of looked like he was going to kick the ball and that automatically affects what Leno will do. So for me, it should see, be offside. See, for me, it looked like he was trying to jump out of the way. He is trying to yeah. jump out of the way. Don't get me wrong. He is trying to jump out of the way. But you got to think of it from the keeper's perspective, right? He sees a player in front of him jumping over the ball. That could just be him jumping to like kick the ball, right? It, it, it could be anything. The movement automatically is going to affect the keeper, 
right? Yeah, it's but like, you, it's can't, like, you can't make a rule based on what the goalie. It's like Rash- it's like Rashford and Fernandez when they no, scored against it's, us. It's nothing like that, and I'll tell it's you not, exactly no, 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 how it's, it's, it's nothing. Like it's that. not. It's not like that exactly because they he didn't touch the ball, right? But although he did, he did run after the ball, so he should it should have been offside. Don't get me wrong, but if you look at the letter of the law, then it says if you don't touch the ball, then you're not affecting play. So it's I actually with disagree. This. No, 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 no. I'll tell you that's wrong, and I'll tell you why it's wrong. Let me pull up the rule. So. In this one, like, the rule clearly states that if the player is even, like, trying to make an attempt at the ball, that can be considered offsides. Let me find it. Um, here it is. Um, oh my gosh, for, for me, for me, the, the biggest thing is, is that... There it is. Sorry, just let me so, the, the biggest yeah. thing is, though, is, is it's such a subjective call, Right? And I get the rule. And I know you got about to read it in a second. I get the rule. I get the rule. It's fine. But it's just, even though it, it, to the letter of the law, it makes sense that it's not offside, it should still be offside. They they didn't adjust the rule or adjust the wording of the rule. But I think Stefan was saying as well on Twitter that the, the, the rule is so murky and there's so much words in there that it becomes almost impossible to read. And, and so they just have to go become black and white about it. But well, yeah, me, it's just it's, it's very subjective. That's the thing. Exactly, so, exactly. But if you look at this, all like this is the difference. So there's three ways to get offsides: interfering with playing or touching the ball. Obviously, that didn't happen. Interfering with the opponent by either preventing them from playing the ball or being able to play the ball by clearly obstructing their line of vision, especially the goalkeeper. I don't think he did that. Um, the other thing is challenging them for the ball. He didn't challenge for the ball. Or trying to make, to, trying to play the ball when it is close and this affects an opponent. He didn't try to play the ball, or making an obvious action or movement that clearly affects an opponent's ability to play the ball. I don't think he did that either. Whereas so, if so you that, look at the Rashford that, goal, Rashford is chasing down the ball. Yeah, yeah I agree. And then with decides you. Okay. not to touch it. I agree with you there. However, so Kanji, the last line that you read, read it again. The last line is making an obvious action or movement that clearly affects an opponent's ability to play the ball. Okay, so that doesn't obvious, affect his ability to play the ball. The obvious action is him being there and then jumping over the ball. It, like it looks like he's about to kick it and he's jumping over. I get he's not intending to kick it, but how do you, how does a referee understand the the intention of a player, right? If, if a kanji was diving before it even got to him. Okay, but look at this, right? If a kanji jumped and the ball nicks his foot, right? It's called offside, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. However, let's say the ball, the trajectory of the ball did not change a single bit from a kanji absolutely just nicking the ball, right? And the ball goes in the back of the net, it's called offside, right? And the reason is because a kanji affected the play just by that tiny little bit. But him, him being there, because jumping over the ball. Yes. Yeah, him jumping over the I get the letter of the law. I get it. I fully, I'm fully with you, and I agree with Like I said, I see both sides of the coin. I see that. But to me, it just feels so unfair, right? It's like such a, like I said, it's a murky rule, and it's like, it's like, yeah, okay, you shouldn't really give that, but we're going to give it because that's the letter of the law. But, but again, that's, that's think, what it is. The refs. Yeah, like, exactly. Exactly. The refs, the refs have, have to, to go. It. Yeah, they have to go based on 
those four rules that you read out in order and say, okay, didn't meet this criteria, didn't meet this criteria, didn't meet this criteria, didn't meet this criteria. Okay, we have to give the goal. But, you know, common sense, and <laughs> it would say this goal shouldn't be given. <laughs> that's that's my, my that's my main issue with it. Like if 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 City was on the receiving end of that, I'd be I'd be pissed. <laughs> I'd be so pissed. Yeah. But anyway, uh, moving on. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So let's get into a little bit of bald fraud tactics talk. Yep. We go into we go into the second so, half two up two one up. Does that affect though the tactics and how Fulham would play? And how we uh, play? I don't think so, honestly, because like Fulham was kind of going for it anyways. Like they they were so comfortable in the first half, and City were going to want to gain control regardless of whether they were up or not. Like the the first half, the buildup was so poor that like you you can't score goals if if your buildup's poor, regardless mm-hmm. of how controlling you are in the game. You just can't do it. So I think City were gonna would have done this switch regardless. And I think Fulham would have just been Fulham regardless, right? Because they probably thought, we keep playing our game, we'll get another goal. Okay. Because of how the first half went. So I didn't think it affected it until maybe the third goal, or like until until Holland's first goal, when it's 3-1, then obviously like then Fulham has to go for it a little more, right? Yep. Um, so dive, but, into I mean, dive, dive into Sam's tactical talk now for the second half. So I think the biggest tactic shift is that, like we we've been playing the, this classic in possession three two five or three two two three however you want to put it, essentially a three two five right to where somebody from the back line steps into midfield next to Rodri, and then up top you have like the two attacking midfielders Holland and then the two wingers right and that's how we did it in the first half is. Foden and Doku were the two wingers. The two attacking midfielders were um, Kovacic and Julian Alvarez. Then there was Holland up top. And you had Akanji stepping into midfield to help Rodri out, right? Um, And just frankly, it didn't work well. Um, I think possibly just because Ake is still so new at that role, he's just got to keep getting better at it. And I think he will. I don't think it's a flaw in his game. It's just that plus... Like, like you said, our defensive line, like those are probably the the worst of our guys on the ball. Other than maybe Akanji, like Akanji, I think is very, very good on the ball. But they're essentially some of our worst guys on the ball. So they just had trouble building up. The way Fulham set up was kind of designed for that. And Akanji is not John Stones. He's not a midfielder. So um, in general, it was just harder to get it up to the front five. And even when, when they did, they, the front five would just give it away. So, yeah. um, essentially what, what city was looking to do is like, we need to bring more control in the buildup so that we can essentially like pin Fulham in their final third. And then we can kind of do what we want from there because that's how they do it with everyone. They just couldn't get in the final third in the first half. So, what they did is they moved Walker, like they have the same 3-2-5 formation, but Walker moved wide, high and wide to the right, which he's we've seen him do a couple times this year. Um, Akanji yeah. Yeah, we went have. back into that like right-sided center back role. Then Kovacic dropped next to Rodri to make the 3-2. Foden moved from right wing to inside because Walker was holding the width. 
So kind of like the two attacking midfielders would be Bowden and Alvarez, then Doku on the left, Kyle Walker wide right, Kovacic next to Rodri. And I think what that helped do is like Kovacic, his one of his best skills is that he's really good at linking attack and defense. So like, you know, we've said like he's really good at receiving the ball under pressure and he's really good at like getting through guys, passing through to like to the defense. Yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely the ball. He's definitely a first and second phase player. He should he should not be in 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 the box in in my opinion. I, I, I don't think he'll ever be that type I, of player. I think he'll get better at it cuz clearly he'll, he'll Pep get, wants to play him there. Like he he'll, he'll get better but uh, I think as the I season think, think, goes that'll stop I, play, like he'll play that I first and second I think Pep wants position. to play him there and I think he will play there more. But he's re- essentially he's really good at that and then also like in the midfield you have Foden there, and he's not kind of just like hanging out on the wings, not really doing as much. So at those two shifts, like you're essentially having him link up, and then Foden and Alvarez are both really, really good at finding those little pockets of space in behind the midfield. Mm-hmm. And so like having just both of them there, and with with now a good buildup with Kovacic there to kind of link it, and also with Akanji, I think Akanji is probably better at that right-sided center back role in terms of buildup than he is, yeah. Walker. And so like all of that combined, um, City were just able to build up better. And then you had just a lot more space for Foden and Alvarez. And that's, I think, what kind of just tore him apart in the second half is he, he, just the way people moved around. And um, it, what I really think is interesting and I is that like City were so much more controlling, but they didn't change their formation and they didn't change their people. Like they didn't make a sub. And so that's why I think it's interesting in this whole kind of like, oh, this guy's not a creative player. Or this guy is doesn't it's have about, Pauser or whatever. It's about, I, I, yeah. It's about putting the players where they're better suited to, to succeed in their roles, right? That's that's the main thing. And like like, like you said, and what, Foden, what you want their role to be in that exactly. certain game. Exactly. Because every like, game is going to be different. Exactly. It's like Foden moving from, like you said, Foden moving to the wing, from from wing to midfield, allowed him to be involved in the game so much more, and he was able to express himself. And as soon as that, you know, the creativity ticked up, the control ticked up, Kovacic being next to, 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 to Rodri, as soon as that happened, as well, we got a lot more control in midfield again. Like you said, moving players just around absolutely helped us. Although Walker on the right wing is probably one of the weakest things that we do, um, in terms of like attacking wise, because he's not he's not such a, he's not he's not a very attacking fullback. Um, but overall, like you said, moving just shifting players around helped us a lot. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing is like, and it's also game specific too. Like I didn't even uh, like write this when I was analyzing it, but like. We wouldn't have made the shift if it was Sheffield United, right? Who just sat ten men in sat the box deep, yeah. the entire the entire time. We wouldn't have to do that because we essentially wouldn't have a problem with the buildup, and that wouldn't force Kovacic to go deep. Now Walker did play high and wide against Sheffield United, but Akanji didn't play, so we had nobody from the defense to go invert. So we had to bring Kovacic down, and that's that's why they did that against Sheffield United, but. If we had this exact same lineup, we and it was against a team that plays a much deeper block, then we wouldn't have had to do that. So it's very 
game specific on what you want from what skills of your of your players and and you got I thought it was just brilliant. Yeah, and you got to give um, Fulham credit, right, for the way they played, and to do that without their best player in Paulina um, is fantastic, right? It's for them to set up that way and place that way, and they kept the scoreline close for most of the game. And like I said, like we both said, they technically had a better first half. We were very lucky to go up two one into the second half, so that then I feel like that helped us a little bit because the although we we changed the setup to control and build up more, I think we still would have got the win anyway. I feel like going into the second half, being up one goal meant we were able to control and then choose our moments of when to go rather than, oh shit, we need to score. We need to, we need to go. We need to go. Let's go get that. Let's go chase that that extra goal because we need to win the game. It was more of, okay, we're already up. Let's just control the game. Get our, get our heads properly screwed on. Um, and with the, with the players shifting around, we were able to do that. Like you said, I think it was, what, 75% possession in the second half? Yeah. Which is crazy, right? But in saying that, it's still a, it was still a strange game overall. You'd say we had seven shots the entire game, <laughs> seven shots and five goals. That's absolutely crazy. I, I don't remember the last time. We, generally, when we have seven shots, it's like against Liverpool or Arsenal or or a Tottenham, like where where we don't where we where it's a bit of a back and forth game, and it's a lot more lot more like let's try control the game so we don't get beat on the counter type type play. But to only have seven shots against Fulham's is crazy. But it's kind of becoming a bit of a a bit of a mark of this team is is that we're becoming we've we've become such a clinical team, and I think that's due to except against Sheffield United, <laughs> except Sheffield United, right? But that's, it's mostly because of Harlan and Alvarez, right? It's having having two players, and I, and we'll come to to Alvarez in a bit because he's a bit of a controversial player at the moment. But having Alvarez and Harlan in the team. There's less pressure in terms of trying to create the perfect chance because you can create a half decent chance and they might score off it, right? And that's kind of how this game went, you know. Like Alvarez miss miss passed, hit off Ream, and that's how Haaland scored the third goal in the game, right? It, it's just one of those things where you go direct, you, you pass the ball instantly, Haaland's in through goal, and you know he's scoring. You know if that was Jesus or Sterling, you need five of those chances <laughs> before we get a goal. So the, the the makeup of the team has shifted in such a in such a dynamic way, and that, coming to the Alvarez problem, right? Like he's not really an eight, but he's playing there at the moment, and he's got his moments. But you can see why we we've got him there because he gives us so many different things, right? You know, it's the goal scoring, the the, the directness of of how he plays, and all the pressing. But he doesn't have the control that you'd expect from a from a regular eight. And that's probably the downside of him. And that's why he's a bit of a controversial player. What what do you think? How do you read the what I call like the Alvarez problem? It's not really a problem, but it's 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 one of those controversial things that's been going around at the moment. Yeah, so um I think there was a guy on Twitter that had a nice thread about about Alvarez. For, I think he was, Alex for Alex. Yeah. yeah. For yeah, Alex, he, yeah. Does he does the he's very good at those fantasy threads and he done. A, he actually done a really good thread on Alvarez. Yeah, yeah. So um, he he had a good thread on Alvarez. Personally, um, I I just don't really see it as much of a problem. I think he's going to keep getting better there, and I think that he's good to have there when City don't have Kevin De Bruyne because mm. Pep said at one time about how he 
really likes threats from outside the box as well. Like, I think he's kind of more similar to Kevin De Bruyne than Phil Foden is. In the way that, like, one thing you really like out of them is scoring, like, golazos. And he does that more than any, like, him and Kevin De Bruyne are the guys that score those. Like, Holland rarely scores goals like, like, you know, huge outside the box, like he's bangers, more of a right? poacher. Yeah, yeah, he's a po- which is he's the best poacher ever. So that's fine. He scored a couple of those at Dortmund. Generational uh, poacher. <laughs> yeah, but like Alvarez and Rodri and Kevin De Bruyne are the ones that are scoring just like worldies, right? Like things that would be like up for the Puskas Award or something. Is what? Yeah, I agree. You would see for those guys, and so I like that Alvarez brings that. Um, I think him and Holland are so different that they work well together as a partnership. And I also think in general, I think he's so good that Pep just can't bench him. Like, I obviously Pep doesn't want to play two strikers all the time. Like, But he's also so adaptable that he's like, this guy is so good. I need to figure out how to play two strikers together. He did say last season, he was like, I need to figure out a way to play Alvarez and and Haaland together. And I remember and saying, then, yeah, I remember saying at the end of the last season, like maybe we'll see a lot of Haaland and Alvarez this season. I think we're seeing it a lot more, obviously because of Kevin De Bruyne's injury, but I think we're taking the opportunity to do that because of how good Alvarez is. Yeah. He's just way too good to be Haaland's backup, right? Exactly. exactly. He's, he's not to reduce him to, you're only going to come in when Erling Haaland doesn't play is doing a massive disservice to him. And I think he is good enough all around to contribute. Because those attacking midfielders that we use are essentially, they play right next to Holland. Like, mm. if you look at their average positioning every game, it's almost as high as Holland. And when we press, we press in a 4-4-2. So he can play up right next to Holland as well, like in the pressing. And he's a very good presser. He's very intense. I think that he's... Like, just all around, like, yeah, he needs to get better at kind of dropping. He's really good at dropping into those spaces. He needs to get better at the link his, up. Like, his, his, yeah, his one up. touch, his one touch, and his decision making. Like, okay, I take it here, then I pass it off to this guy, or I, I hold it until this guy comes, then I pass it off. Like, those things, and he will get better at them. But people, people go, you got to remember, right? He's only 23 years old. And, and I think something us City fans do a lot and maybe football fans do this in general is we assume a player because he's 23 you like you look at Haaland who's 22 23 as well but no one's Haaland no one's Phil Foden no one these are like we said generational type players Alvarez is only came into European football a year ago and he's 23 years old you know if he does this for another year two years oh, like he's gonna be fantastic when he's 25 26 you know, what I mean, you look at Grealish. We brought in Grealish to our team at, at the age of 25, 26, right? And he he's almost a finished article. Alvarez has so much room to develop into the play that we want in this eight role or second striker role. And once he nails it, like you said, like he nails this link up and nails the the decision making or when to go, when not to go. It's like it's like Gundogan. Gundogan wasn't perfect when he was 23, 24, playing playing in that eight role, but Alvarez also gives us so much else 
on on the field. You know, like you said, goal scoring, Galazzo's, you know, those those long range shots, the goal against Newcastle. We, we don't have that type of play in our team when Kevin De Bruyne is out. Besides Rodri, Rodri, Rodri's always got a Galazzo in him here and there. Um, but like you said, it, it, he Alvarez has so much room to improve. Yeah, he'll, and he'll just keep getting better. Obviously, this is the other thing too, and I know this is kind of a cop out, but like they're training every day together. You like, do you think that we can watch forty-five minutes or ninety minutes of a game and say that we know better than the greatest coach of all time? Because I don't, and that shouldn't be an like. The point of us analyzing is not to just say, oh, yeah, just trust Pep. Like, that's that's kind of a cop-out just to say, oh, yeah, just trust Pep. But in this case, like, clearly they see a way of playing with Alvarez and Holland together. And you can see flashes of it, right? Because everybody keeps saying, like, oh, this is shit that they're playing together. Really? Then how come we've won four games out of four? And how come we've looked really good in just about every game? Aside of ten min- or forty-five minutes of Fulham, we've looked absolutely imperious, right? So clearly, it's something's working. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's just. Yeah. I think City in general is just kind of getting a little spoiled. I, I think like <laughs> us fans, we're just getting spoiled that we like need to see the perfect. Same the with perfect like play, yeah. City lack creativity. Do you know every team? But we, and we talked about this a lot last week, right? Every team. We said we didn't put in a good offensive performance against Sheffield United. We created almost 4 XG. Every team should be like every team's fans should be screaming at us right now. Like you're pissed <laughs> about putting 4 XG? Are you ki- and winning? Are you kidding me? So like it's, it's, it's true. We, need we to are keep it in perspective. We're so we are, we are a bit spoiled. Do you know what? It, it reminds me of um so this this season is giving me eighteen nineteen vibes where we went toe-to-toe with Liverpool and we did the domestic treble in a sense where Kevin De Bruyne was injured from the beginning of the season. He was out for like six months or something like that with his knee injury. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, everyone was like, and everyone was like, oh, crap, we are screwed. And then who comes into midfield? It was Bernardo Silva, who didn't have the best season in 17-18 because that was his first season. But then we got he second season. He came off the bench every single game. Yeah, so we had second season Bernardo Silva come in into midfield and just absolutely dominate. And we had probably one of the, like, in my mind, that was one of the, one of our best teams in, in the Pep era, right? Yeah. Like, although we didn't do the treble like this last season, it's probably one of our best teams in terms of how good well, we, we did, were. Well, we did the domestic treble. We did the domestic treble and we went out to Spurs in, like, one of the worst ways, right? So for me, that yeah. team it's probably better than this current team, right? In terms of depth, in terms of attacking that. options, it's, it was different. It was very different. But Alvarez is giving me that Bernardo vibe, where he's like, "I'm a bench player last season. I'm Haaland's backup." You know, Bernardo was right wing. You know, mostly playing right wing last that's seventeen, eighteen, and he was backing up Sterling at the time. Whereas like he'll come in, come off the bench, you know, give us a good performance, and it's like cool. And then the next season he comes in, he plays midfield. And it's very similar with Alvarez. I feel like we just, in a bit of time, you give him a bit of time, and, and in three months, we'll be like, oh, Kevin De Bruyne is coming back. Okay, what are we going to do? <laughs> are we benching Alvarez for, for a photo? How are we going to manage our team now? And it's going to become a headache for Pep how to, how to, how to fit them all in together. Because you probably can't play Alvarez, Foden, 
Kevin De Bruyne and Haaland all on the same team just probably won't work. This is too much, too much attacking threat. But I feel like Alvarez is going to be that for us that season. He'll Kevin De Bruyne this season to me, even when he comes back, he's not going to be fit and firing straight away. He'll take a bit of time to ramp up, and they'll slow him down in terms of like they'll manage his minutes very carefully when he comes back. You know, he I don't think he'll be 100% fit till like February. So. Alvarez is going to get a lot of minutes and he's going to get a lot better between now and then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, Not much more to add. I, and also, I think a big what if in terms of just City's trajectory in the last five years is what if Kevin De Bruyne didn't get injured? What would have happened with Bernardo Silva? Like, would he have permanently stayed on the wings or would he gotten, like, how much game time would he have gotten in central midfield? Because at that time, we had David Silva, we had Gundogan, we had Fernandinho. Like, we had a lot of midfielders. So, that, that's a big what if. Obviously, like, he took advantage of Kevin De Bruyne being out and showed himself to be world class. But that, that's a big what if. It's yeah. interesting. Same thing with Alvarez, right? So, Alvarez is getting a lot of game time this season. So, yeah. I'm excited to see yeah. how, how it develops. All right, second yeah. and, and second half, we get a penalty, hundred percent penalty. I don't think there's any argument. I've seen people yeah, trying to argue, and I'm just like, you can't push someone in the back as they're going for a shot. It's, it's guaranteed. No. Harlan no, absolutely dude. nails the penalty. <laughs> absolutely nails. I he, he better <laughs> after last week. <laughs> he just fired that into the net. I was like, oh okay. I got a bit nervous. I was like, oh, is he gonna miss? Like you know, you know the the, the typical city with penalties. I was I was getting that vibe, and then as soon as he nailed, I'm like, oh no, it's Harlan. Yep, 93% converter. Yep, that was, last week was a, an anomaly. So, as as we expected, easy goal. Um, and then from there, from 3-1, we kind of just had complete control of the game. Um, the, 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 the fourth goal, again, like we said. The, sorry, the fifth yeah. goal. The fifth goal was from Sergio Gomez, assist. Great pass. And then Oscar Great move Bob. by Gomez. He, like... Yeah, it was, he, it was like, fantastic. He danced around him. He showed why he plays wing for Spain. Yeah, she, yeah. She, I think I think his position is wing. I don't think we're gonna play him in defense anymore. So he'll he'll he'll, and he he's not gonna play much minutes. Let's be honest. Like he'll get no. minutes. Like we gotta consider right. Grealish is injured, right? So Ndoku had his first game, and we had Foden, right? And Bernardo Bernardo was came on like what 80th minute or 75th minute. Sorry. Right? He so, came on after it was four. Like all the kids were coming on. That's why. Exactly. Exactly. So for me, I look at it and go, "You need Grealish, Bernardo to be injured before Sergio Gomez even has a sniff." So I don't think we'll, we won't, we won't see much there. He'll probably play a League Cup game. He'll probably play a dead rubber Champions League game. Um, yep. But unless he really, really shows something like fantastic in those, in yeah, those he has to games. have like a Zinchenko type of arc. Yeah, exactly. Which I don't expect because we'd have to be going Me through neither. an injury. Yeah, we'd have to be going through an injury crisis for 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 that to happen. But it's it's look, it's good. It got Roger off the game. It got um, Doku. You know, he shouldn't be playing ninety minutes for his first game. So it kind of gave the key players a rest. And then Phillips came on. looked looked great. I, I I can't really complain how Phillips looked, but it's very hard to take anything away um, for for about eight minutes of play time when. Yeah, <laughs> when when he played, yeah, in a, in a, when we were up four one, like I really can't take much from that. But you never know; he might have a breakout season. Let's hope because he is part of yeah. the squad. He is part of the squad until next season. Let's be honest. 
So if he does, yeah, if he does unless play he well, decides to go to Saudi Arabia or something, which I don't. See <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's does. not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. So overall, you know, a five-one win. You know, perfect start to the season. It's August. I haven't. I don't remember the last time we won our first four games. Honestly, <laughs> I don't remember the last time we won our first four games. Even even in the hundred-point season, we dropped the second game to Everton in, in a one-all draw. So. I actually don't remember the last time we won our first four games. So I can't complain about how this season is going so far. And with the injuries that we've had and the rotations that we've had, you would expect City to drop a game in the, in the last four games, but they haven't. Yeah, I, th- I think it's been just great overall. Um, and And not just the wins, it's like the way City have won has been fairly dominant in basically every match. And I know our the quality of our opponents hasn't been amazing, but, I mean, the first four games, what have we let in? Two goals? and Two goals, yeah. They were both, like, weird goals to let in. So, I'm fine with that. Like, I, I think it was just, it's been great performances, because I think, just in general, the performances are more important than the results. In that, especially in a league, like in a league format rather than a, like a tournament format. So, because if you consistently perform well over 38 games, you will be generally placed where you perform. And unless it's like, you know, Brighton of three years ago where they're just XG was off the mark and they couldn't finish, right? But that's those are like freak circumstances. Generally... If you perform at a consistently high level every week, you will win. And so far, City have been by far the most consistent team this year and putting in very high-level performances every single week. Yep. To, to me, to me right now, to, to be up two points already on, on anyone near us after four games, you don't really look at the table at this early, but it's, it's nice to see. But for me, yeah. like I said, it's, we, like I've been saying for a couple of weeks now, I, for me, it's going to be Liverpool Arsenal um, as the main closest challenges. I feel like it might be Liverpool's year again. I hope not because I, I can't stand them. But no, nope, I don't think it is. <laughs> you don't think I it think, is? I know. I know, nope. I know you don't. I know you don't. But I, I still feel like they will. They've just got so much attacking firepower that I look at it and go, "Yeah, they'll have some down games." But in saying all that. You see what Kyle Walker said, right? And and I'm liking the mentality that City are showing this season. You know the quotes that have come out of the players. I was just about to mention that too. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's fantastic what they've said. Like you've had Foden say, you know, how do we keep ourselves motivated? And all of them have said they want to win four Premier Leagues in a row because it's never been done before. So that's their motivation already for this season. And the other motivation is them doing the quad, right? <laughs> it's like it's like oh, we've done the treble. We're never gonna we're never gonna do it again. Let's try and let's let's try better and do the quad, quadruple or do it a ho- do the whole thing again, which if that does happen, like oh my god, right? But Kyle Walker, what he said was really interesting. Where he said, he said, let's do what we did in seventeen eighteen and let's just run away with it. We always play catch up, you know. We, I, I don't so we, let's let's end it by Christmas. Basically, right? We've never we haven't done that since seventeen eighteen, right? Every other season we start slow. We hit back the mid-season. Even, even the year in 2021, 
where we made the Champions League final. That year, we did run away with it, but we ran away with it in like February or March. It, it took us, I think we, we at one point we were eighth after like six or seven games. And that was like when it's Pep got a new contract and all. We had so much drama that season. Now, that was the season we lost to like Leicester 5-2. But even that season, we ran away with it towards the end of the season. But it took us so much time. that's when we made time. the Champions League final. Yeah, exactly. And, and it took us so long to get ramped up. And so if, if they do take that mentality into this season, and I feel like this year's aim is going to be that four in a row. I don't think it's even the Champions League this year. Like, obviously, they'll try for the Champions League. Like, don't get me wrong. But I think they... Their mentality and and their and their motivation for this season to win the Premier League again is to go four in a row, right? Because never been done before, and that's history, right? That is, yeah, like it's not Premier League history; it's football Division One English history. No team has won four in a row, so for them to be able to go four in a row is unprecedented, and that's like it's almost as good as a treble, right? Because although like the treble, you're winning three three cups. But no one's done four in a row. It, it marks this era as Manchester City's. Although it already is, it will mark it. It will put a stamp on it. Say that team won four in a row. Not even Ferguson's United done that. Even though they won eight out of eleven titles. Even the, the great Liverpool teams of the seventies and the eighties won eight out of eleven titles. They won multiple Champions Leagues. Not a single one of them could do four in a row. So for us to do that would just put a massive stamp on this on this era and say that team. It's like the only that. record we haven't broken. Exactly, exactly. And, and 15 goals conceded, <laughs> which I don't think will ever happen. I really want it to happen this season, but there's just too much quality in the Premier League. Like, you got to, like, you see the two goals we've conceded so far this season, you just go, yeah, okay. We're never going to hit that 15, 15 goal mark. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried. Oh, well. You know, as we're, we're winning the league every year. I don't really who, care. Who gives a shit? I, it's, like the, it's like the Invincibles thing, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of a whole separate thing. But I don't know. In general, I would just kind of going back to who are City's biggest challengers. I would say the second most consistent teams I have seen are uh, Arsenal, Arsenal, and kind of Liverpool. Liverpool were really poor for like a game or two, also, but. They um, have, but they're pulling out victories, right? That's yeah, but it, the, it, Liverpool is quite emotional, and their defense sucks. Like it legit sucks. So <laughs> you can't you, you you're you're not going to be like they're going to be and also with Aston Villa especially. They're like Aston Villa is built for Liverpool to run all over them. Like they play ridiculously high lines. But then don't really even press that high. Like, are you just asking to get blown out by Liverpool? <laughs> like, that's exactly what they want. They want to be, they want their defenders to not be pressed and just ping balls over the top for their yeah. for their attackers to run onto. And I, I, I was personally, reading, that was just yeah, I was, was reading just a disaster. I was reading something on Emery, and apparently he like that's one of his weaknesses. He struggles against the big teams. He doesn't. He doesn't. He never sets up correctly against the big teams, and that's why he got slapped by Liverpool, got slapped by Newcastle. You know, like you said, playing these higher lines against teams that love to just go over the top and all go direct. You know, I'll be surprised. I want to say I'm curious to see how how we play Villa when we do play them, if how they're going to set up because we usually struggle and have tough games against Villa. But 
those tough yeah. games have always and, been against against setups where they're, they're either setting up a low block or they they do that Southampton style press where we kind of struggle with it. So I'd be curious to see how Emery sets up against us. So here's the other thing, especially with Liverpool, is you we don't know how good this midfield will be. Sabosalai seems like a good player, and I think he is a good player, but I don't like. He's more of a like a winger number ten, which is kind of odd to have in that team. And then McAllister's a good player, but he's not a holding midfielder, and he's been playing as a six because they don't really have a six. And then there's Graven Birch, who is very talented, but somebody's got to get the best out of him at some point, right? Like mm. you can only say somebody's very talented for so long, but there were two coaches at Byron last year, and neither of them wanted to play him. So. Jurgen Klopp is a very good coach. We'll see. But, like, would it surprise me if he just didn't pan out at Liverpool? It wouldn't. Uh, but he's also not a six. And then they got this guy, Endo, who's, what, like 30 years old from Stuttgart. How do you know how good he's going to be? And then their back line is just a mess anyways. Like, Virgil van Dijk's just not what he used to be. And I think that Liverpool's defense, I think it's going to be more – I think they will be more, like – the 17-18 season where they didn't really challenge for the title because their defense was so porous, but they might like win the Champions League because they made the Champions League final that year. It could oh. be something like that. Where well, they're not. Well, they're not in the Champions League. <laughs> they're playing Europa League. Well, uh, well whatever. Europa League final. <laughs> Forgot about that. But it's. I think it's more like that because I think they're just especially against low blocks. They're gonna have. They're gonna have a tough time. Yeah, I'll be, I'll, be cur- down. I'll be curious to see how they go against the, the low block teams. So they've, they've, they've played against Chelsea, Newcastle, and Villa, and all three of them have played like high lines and and not as defensively low yeah. blocked as, as the lower teams. So it'll, yeah, like you said, it'll be interesting to see how the lower teams set up against them. But I do think they do have a lot of attacking firepower. So it'll be interesting how they how, see how they go. Um, f- back to City. So perfect start, uh, international break. And then we come back and we've got West Ham. West Ham away. It's gonna, that's, that's a tough game to come back to from an international break, I think. I'm good with it. I'm not really <laughs> too worried about West Ham. <laughs> they're, they're playing a really, really strong attacking, uh, counter-attacking type football. You, they tore Brighton to shreds on the counter. That's the only reason, yeah. why, that's the only reason why that worries me about them. They're, the way they're playing, they're, they're in very good form with, you know James Ward Prowse, you know on set pieces, is always a, is always a worry, and we haven't been the best set piece team defend defensively. Um, you know, the, basically the goal from against Fulham was was from a set yeah. piece, so that's the only reason why they worry me a little bit. But you know, I, I'm not worried about them. I don't think they're. I, I think we'll be able to get at them. Because, like you said, they have really good offensive options right and are they going to be able to just park the bus because that's what they're going to have to do like that's what they've had to do in the past against city and so are they going to be able to do that against city again i don't know and yeah. Uh, unless yeah i i just personally I, i'm not too bothered about it but then again there are very little games that i specifically worry about so yeah We've got we've got an we've got an interesting interesting few games coming up. So I always look at these as um the 
like the the bunches of you look at the the I look at games as bunches in between um, international breaks because you get three international breaks you know September October and then November again um, but this next bunch of games we've got we've got three four Premier League games two Champions League games and an EFL um, League Cup games right so against Newcastle away but the the big the big game before the next international break so we play West Ham away. We play Wolves away and we play Nottingham Forest at home in the Premier League. And then we've the last game before we go on international break again is Arsenal away. So I, I kind of want us to win. I'd love to see us win the next three to go into Arsenal away being 7-0. and Yep. That'll be, that'll be at huge. Least, that'll at be least huge. if we drop points, only drop in one of the games. And preferably no, I don't, I don't, lose it. I'd I rather, wanna... obviously, like I don't, I don't want us yeah. to lose anything, and I think we we obviously should beat everyone, but we know that's the reality of things. That like yeah. they're well, gonna be, like City are going to drop points against the team that's outside. Yeah, they will. The I'm sure they will. I'm sure. But I'm sure they will. I from... I also think that they're going to be very locked in for yeah. like the next couple months, just trying to end this thing early. For for me, for me, what I want us to do. He's going to that Arsenal game, being 7-0. And the reason why is I want Arsenal to feel they have to win if they want a title race. And that pressure on Arsenal, we know, is not good for them. As soon as they feel pressure about the title race, they panic, right? And then they, they crumble. Yeah, yeah, and so, you don't want them, like, you want them to feel the pressure eight games in. Exactly. It's like, it's like oh, no, if, if City beat us now... They're gonna be seven or eight points clear, you know, eight games into the season, and that would just that would just basically end the title race there. So, I kind of want us to go into that game with that mentality and and have won the last three Premier League games, because then going in and if you beat them, it's at the Emirates, which is always a, it's gonna be a more difficult game than when we play them at the Etihad. Um, but but going into that game with that record behind us would be such a big boost, and that that's where I'm hoping. But it's it's that's that's about a month away from now, so. So much can change between now and then. It could just be Arsenal crumble now, and and Liverpool become the main title challengers, and that game becomes irrelevant in the in the, in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> that's honestly why I think that City might not even have a title challenger this year. Quite honestly, I think I just think City's a step above everyone. They are like I even are even here. Arsenal is already put in like one or two stinkers this year, and Liverpool has as well, and so. Personally, like, I just don't think City's really going to have a challenger. Honestly, I'm sticking with the prediction. I think Brighton's going to finish top four. I, right. I think they, I think they had a stinker against West Ham. Other than that, they've absolutely dominated. Like, absolutely, like they dominated Newcastle, and yeah. they like that they're a legit. I mean, dominated Luton, but okay, it's Luton. Dominated Wolves. <laughs> I get it, but. Still, like I, I really think Brighton might be one of the hardest teams for City to play this year. Yeah, we, well, we play them right after the international break, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> not, not, not this yeah. international break. Sorry, the one, the one after Arsenal. The next one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, a lot of interesting agendas and things to come. I'd say. <laughs> yeah, it's good but stuff we- all around. I think um, this window two will be good. Just for coaching purposes and for getting guys games, like 
Yep. Case Nunes will start getting getting in some games. And Carabao Cup, honestly, just like throw that game away, please. Just yeah, I really don't care about the Carabao Cup. I'll, 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 yeah, I'm I'm happy to put the kids on for that game because I think it's just gonna. It's just I think that the not this, not so if we win this round, we play another game, but then the round after that will be very similar time to when we're doing the Club World Cup. So it just becomes pointless. You might as well just go out now, take out some fixtures, you know. Although, look, they'll try to win. Don't get me wrong. But just play the kids. Play Oscar Bob. Yeah. Play Sergio Gomez. You know, play every kid that you can, basically, or every fringe player that we have. Just again, like play Phillips and, and a Nunes midfield. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> just, play, just literally play the worst team you can possibly put out there. Give everyone else a rest. I don't think Harlan should be anywhere near the field in that game. But yeah, like you said, just throw in the bin. If if Newcastle want to take it seriously, that's on them. I don't think they will because it's smack bang in the middle of Champions League games, and you've seen their group. It is a group of death. They'll be focusing on that, and they'll do they'll do very similar in that League Cup game. They'll just they'll basically play <laughs> kids as well. Yeah, I think. yeah, I think so too. I think so too. All right, all right, let's wrap it up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. I don't, there's not much more to talk about this week. Um, you know, we, we kind of talked about the transfer window shutting in general. And so you look good. What can we say? We're top of the league. We're 4-0. Just a couple more Can't things, I guess. More. One, one more, two more things. Two more things. Chelsea sucks and so does Manchester United. Let's end it on that. <laughs> yeah, Manchester United's a dumpster fire. And both of their <laughs> wingers. One of their wingers looks like he's going to be sold for pennies on the dollar. And their yep. other winger looks like he might be going to prison. So... <laughs> Just yeah, remember sh- that, and and remember mm-hmm. also that Chelsea have all this talent, have bought all these players, and yet still suck. So <laughs> they're still averaging a they're still averaging a point per game. <laughs> Maybe they need to spend another billion on that. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. And that tell that I think is the greatest part of this is kind of dispels the theory that oh, City just bought their titles. All you have to do is buy players, and you'll. Yep. <laughs> Wonderful. Awesome. All right, guys. Thanks All right, for listening. Guys. Thanks, guys. See you. Bye.